Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. and a great big Canadians and old-time radio welcome to you. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old-Time Radio Alliance. And from our Made in Canada segment tonight, we're going to be choosing another episode of The Happy Gang. That show was on CBC Radio from June of 1937 to June of 1959. So here's uh, an episode which I'm sure you'll enjoy. Who's there? It's the Happy Gang. Well, come on in. Keep happy with the Happy Gang. Keep happy, start your day with the bang. Yes, it's the Happy Gang with Kathleen Stokes at the organ, Blaine Matley and his violin, Cliff McKay and his clarinet, Jimmy DeMaro on his vibraphone, Eddie Allen and his accordion, Bobby Jimmy and his trumpet, and with Bert Pearl, your master of ceremonies at the piano. Keep happy and healthy, the heck with being wealthy, so keep happy with the happy gang. We're screaming, la, 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 la. Master of Ceremonies, Bert Pearl. Thanks, Hugh Bartlett, and thank you, friends, for putting that good old welcome sign on the front door for us when we came around knocking. Now that the gang's all here, let's get going in high gear. And one sure way of doing that is to supply our Jimmy Namaro with a piano, a vibraphone, and a tune like George Gershwin's I Got Rhythm. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. So hang on tight. Here's Jimmy Namaro. Thank you. 
just in case anybody dropped in late, that was our Jimmy Namaro at the piano and vibraphone streamlining I Got Rhythm. What do you got, Ed? I got a song. And friends, you can take my word for it. When our Eddie Allen says he's got a song, it means there's some mighty good listening coming your way. What's the song, Ed? Well, Bert, it's an all-time favorite of mine called And the Angels Sing. And the Angels Sing. And I see you brought along your halo, too. Try it on, Ed, will you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on you, it looks good. Sing, kid. That was really a treat. 
And so was that trumpet playing by the gang's own Gabriel Bobby Jimby. Especially that part where he goes, you know, la da da do 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 See, Bob, now that you ask me, I'm not so sure. i tell you what I'm going to do, though. I'm going to listen carefully to your trumpet soloing of Memories of You. And then I'll know for sure. Bobby Jimby, his trumpet, and Memories of You. that was terrific, really. Now I'm sure it was your playing that I liked best, you know, because I didn't even get a chance there to yell hey during that whole Memories of You. And say, speaking of memories, do you friends remember the days of the good old melodramas, you know, when there was always a lovely heroine, a dashing hero, and a miserable villain? <laughs> well, we're going to do one for you right now with music. Our Kathleen will play the heroine, Blaine Mathay will be the villain... And we're a little short of actors, so Huey will have to be the hero. Oh, fine. That's the only excuse I can think of. <laughs> All righty, then. Beginners on stage. Overture. <laughs> now, he was a sawmill proprietor, and she a fair maid yet unkissed. One evening, he winked his glass eye at her. 
Better get that oil. <laughs> but she said... Nay, nay, sir. He's it. So he dragged her into the sawmill, poor wench. Then he took off his belt and strapped her to the bench. And the great big saw came nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. Be my wife or you will be cut in two. Said the villain to poor little Vera. Ah, but she said... Nay, nay, though you cut me in twain, the angels will stick me together again. And the great big saw came nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. Then the villainous sawmill proprietor heard her screaming there quite fit to bust. <laughs> so, what did he do just to quiet her? He filled up my mouth with sawdust. Oh, she looked like a lovely wax doll there, it's true. Oh, yeah? And chock full of sawdust, I felt like one, too. And the great big song came nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. Be my wife for you will be cut in two. Said the villain to poor little Vera. Ah, but she said... Nay, nay, though you've money in bank, I wouldn't wed you if you cut me in plank. And the great big song came nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. But oh! <laughs> Who is this? It's the hero. Are we still on the air? Her sweetheart, a burly sheep shearer. And he yells to the villain, Hands up, you big brute. And that big saw comes nearer and nearer. But the villain used his belt to strap Vera down. So when he throws his hands up, his trousers fall down. And the great big saw came nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. Her sweetheart dashed up with a cry at her. Oh, save me, my darling. She cried. I'll knock out this mean old proprietor. I'll thrash him. Yes, I'll beat his hide. <laughs> my hero, my hero, come give me a kiss. Yeah. We'll marry and prevent situations like this. So their wedding day came nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. Wedding bells ding-dong and the hero so strong finally marries his beautiful Vera. But now, fed up with marriage, she says... Listen here, for goodness sake, next time, please don't interfere when the great big sauce comes nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. The curtain falls, and none too soon, I might add. The manager walks out onto the stage. He clears his throat <clears throat> to make a very important announcement about an attraction of interest to everybody. Shall we listen? That organ music we hear can mean only one thing that our Kathleen Stokes, who played the part of the heroine in our melodrama, has forsaken the theater and has resumed her regular role as our lovely lady organist. Seems as though she also has forgiven that nasty villain because she's about to join our Blaine Mathay as he plays Estrellita.
Orchestra, Ita, beautifully played by our Blaine Matha and Kathleen Stokes. For those of you friends who like your music on the sweet, soft, and mellow side. Mind you now, if you prefer your music on the hip side, here's our giant of jive, our ton of fun, Cliff McKay, with a swingy little thingy called Paper Moon. Okay, Fatso. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Yes, it's only a canvas sky hanging over a muslin tree. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Without your love, it's a honky-tonk parade. And without Played in a penny arcade. It's a Barnum and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. was our Cliff McKay delighting our swing patrons and baffling our scientists. And from Paper Moon, we turn to Paper Doll, a musical item which has been requested, I might say, by several of our regular listening customers. Ah, yes, the folks seem to love my performance of this song. What folks? My folks. Oh. <laughs> Paper Doll, please. I... And none of that nasty laughter, either. I guess I've had a million dolls or more. I guess I've played that old doll game before. I just quarreled with Sue. That's why I'm blue. She's gone away and left me just like all dolls do. I tell you guys, it's tough to be alone. And it's tough to love a doll that's not your own. I'm through with all of them. I'll never fall again. Cause this is what I'm gonna do 
I'm gonna buy a paper doll that I can call my own. A doll that other fellas just can't steal. And then those flirty, flirty guys with those flirty, flirty eyes will just have to flirt with dollies that are real. And when I come home at night, she'll be there waiting, it says here. She'll be the truest doll in all this world. I'd rather have a paper doll to call my own than have a fickle-minded real-life girl. I'm gonna buy a paper doll that I can call my own. A dolly that other fellows just can't steal. And then those flirty, flirty guys with those hubba, hubba, hubba eyes will just have to flirt with dollies that are real. And say, when I come home each night, she'll be there waiting. I'll put chains on her. She'll be the truest doll in all this world. I'd rather have a paper doll to call my own than have a fickle-minded real live girl. Did you get a load of that line, the last line in that song? This guy would rather have a paper doll to call his own than have a real live gal. Oh, I can just picture him. Give him a pair of scissors, the color section of the Sunday paper, and he's all set for a big night. That's very funny, I thought. And just in case you're snickering at the idea of a man cutting out paper dolls, friends, wait till you hear about Eddie Allen's favorite hobby. Tell him, Ed. Favorite hobby? I don't know what you mean, Bert. Uh, tell him what you're going to sing. Oh, I'm always chasing rainbows. See what I mean?
must make a winning sometime I never even make a gain Believe me chasing rainbows. And right now, that old clock is chasing us clean out of here till our next visit rolls round. And until then, friends, we just want to remind everyone everywhere to keep happy, won't you? gentlemen, the happy gang. So until next time, happy listening. From our Canadians Abroad segment tonight, we have an episode of Cavalcade of America. The story that we're going to hear was introduced by a Canadian, Walter Houston, who was the series host by that time. And the actor that was featured was Walter Pigeon, from, who was born in St. John, New Brunswick. And the story is about a Canadian. Dr. Norman Bethune. Here is Lifetide, the story of Dr. Norman Bethune. From September 20th, I believe, of Cavalcade of America, sponsored by the E.I. DuPont Dinamores and Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents Lifetide, starring Walter Pigeon, with Walter Houston as our commentator. Before turning tonight's program over to Cavalcade's commentator, Walter Houston, may I remind you that in weeks to come, DuPont will present many great broadcasts with leading stars from stage and screen. Among those who will be Cavalcade's guests are Edward G. Robinson, Bob Hope, Jerry Colonna, Francis Langford, Clark Gable, and many others. And now, Cavalcade's commentator, Walter Houston.
This evening, you are going to hear my good friend Walter Pigeon as Dr. Norman Bethune, a man I am frank to admit I knew too little about until the war came. In thinking about this evening's cavalcade, which is called Lifetide, I tried to search out of its particular meaning to me, a meaning I now want to pass on to you. Bethune was a man with a great heart. Because he was a scientist as well, hundreds of thousands of hearts are beating tonight that otherwise might have been stilled forever. A fighter as well as a scientist, Norman Bethune's battle was waged not in a laboratory, but where men were waging the endless struggle, which is the price of freedom and human dignity. It was in Spain and in China that he originated the idea of a mobile field blood bank, an idea which has been developed and widely used so that it is now making precious plasma available to those wounded on every front. Listen to the story of Dr. Norman Bethune as he is portrayed by Walter Pigeon in Lifetime. Written by Robert Tallman for the Cavalcade of America. Lifetime. Listen. That sound is the first and last sound in your memory. It is the pulsating of the human heart. In it, like the tides of the sea, the lifeblood of all humanity ebbs and flows. Remember that sound as we bring you this chronicle of a man of our time who touched the fountainhead of that most ancient and sacred of human mysteries, blood of the living and blood of the fallen, inseparably fused in his legacy to us, the blood bank, that lifetide of the human race. Lifetide. Sometimes it is a fevered and irregular pulse. Lifetide of a man restive on a hospital bed. One of four men, a New Englander, a Southerner, a Canadian, and a Chinese. All doctors. All dying of the same disease. Tuberculosis. Norman Bethune was the Canadian. Well, gentlemen, how about it? We're all doctors? What's the prognosis? How and when shall we die? How about you, Fisher? Well, this is the summer of 1926. I shall probably drop dead in Boston in the winter of 1934 while writing a prescription for a man with nervous indigestion. (laughs) (laughs) Lim? I shall die in China. China will be fighting for her life. I hope I will die fighting for her. And you, Bethune? Well, as for me, I've done all I'm likely to. Loved a beautiful woman and made her my wife. Wanted a career in surgery and did better than I expected. I won't stay here, but I won't go back to that life. Oh, I will probably die out west somewhere. Tucson, uh, likely. Let's say uh, 1932. And I shan't be sorry to go. Everything from now on would be an anticlimax anyway. Lifetime. The pulse quickens, but the pace is more even. This is the pulse of sudden resolution. Death tugs at him. In a moment, the tide will turn and slow. Resolution. I want... I want... He did not even know what it was he wanted. 
Maybe I could write a poem, paint a picture, something like that. I've got to do something before I go out. I've got to. But these things take time. Somehow, anyhow, time to accomplish something. He rises from sickbed, walks over to the main building in the sanitarium. I apologize to you gentlemen for interrupting what is undoubtedly a very important staff meeting, but I have decided to appoint myself the doctor in charge of my own case. That is your privilege, Dr. Bethune. Furthermore, I ask your permission to perform a surgical operation on myself. I will require at least one assistant and full equipment for uh, artificial pneumothorax. Well, gentlemen? We've had bad results with that operation, Dr. Bethune. And as for your idea of piercing through your own chest cavity... What's the difference whether it's mine or somebody else's? Well, gentlemen, if Dr. Bethune is willing to undertake it entirely at his own risk... Gentlemen, I am not only willing, I welcome the risk. Lifetime. The blood courses strong and exultant. His health improved by his own skillful surgery, Norman Bethune has emerged from the shadows. He is a chief surgeon of Sacred Heart Hospital now in Montreal. Depression years. So many ill, so many sick at heart. 1935, the worst of all. So many needing him. Doctor, tell me there is a chance for my little girl. Already we lost one and... Now the doctor at the clinic says I can never have another. Ah, I see. Well, there is one thing we could try. It's never been done in this country. Certainly never on a child of ten. But uh, we could try. Please try, doctor. Please do. We will have to remove one of her lungs altogether. No. It's a very unusual and dangerous operation. I must warn you in advance. How much... How much will it cost, Doctor? If I can give your child back to you, alive and well, that's all the payment I want. <laughs> Nurse. Nurse. Yes, Doctor? The silver clips. Quickly. And some more gauze. Here, Doctor. Read the blood pressure. It's fallen another ten points. Pulse. Well? 32. That settles it. I can't go on. Get the patient ready for a transfusion. But, Doctor... Hurry up, we've no time to lose. But, Doctor, we couldn't find any of the right blood type. You mean to tell me I'm going to lose a patient because some fool couldn't arrange a simple transfusion? After all, there's no way to force people to volunteer as blood donors, Dr. Bisson. Oh, I suppose not. Somebody else should finish this job. I've got type zero blood. Nurse. Yes, Doctor? Get a sterile container. We'll take a liter of my blood and transfuse it into the patient while it's still warm. Pulse is nearly normal now, Doctor. Good. Hooks, please. Retractors. Dr. Bethune, let me... You're too weak. It's all right, nurse. I'll be steady enough when the real job begins. coming round now, Doctor. Good. Good. They keep ringing the bell. There was a big bonfire. 
Did you have fun there, Yvette? Uh, <laughs> it was funny. Who stole this fat mamsel? The doctor brought it, Yvette. Listen. It's the most beautiful doll I ever saw. Is she yours, Mamsel? Oh, no, she's yours, Yvette. Take good care of her, won't you? She just came out of the hospital herself. The child is well. It was a very beautiful operation. I felt very happy doing it. Yes, I will sleep tonight. Right time. Sometimes it is a fanatic pulse. The heartbeat of a fear-crazed animal. Heartbeat of a mob. Bethune did not sleep that night. But that night in October 1935, through the streets of Montreal, men with swastika armbands surged in the vanguard of a mob of hoodlums. Sharp windows were broken. Innocent people set upon and beaten. That night, Bethune witnessed the first blow by the Nazis' fifth column in North America. Bless the old Jew. String him up. Please, my father's done nothing. Why don't you let us alone? Keep quiet, Jewish. We'll give you some of the same. But he's old. His heart is weak. He can't stand. All right, then. Let him off easy. Only ten licks with a rubber hose. One. Two. Three. Hold him up. Hold him up. Make him stand on his feet. What's going on here? What are you doing to this man? Who are you? Bethune is my name. I'm a doctor. Aryan or non-Aryan? I come from a race you wouldn't understand. I'm a Scot. We're violent and unstable. We'd as soon kill a man like you as look at you. Now go home and take off those monkey suits before I beat your brains out with this walking stick. Lifetide. A mounting pulse of anger. Tidal wave crashing over the breakwater. I tell you, the sickness of the world isn't in these hospital wards. It's out there in the streets. It draws the blood out of men's veins and leaves them there to die. Blood. That's what gives life, and that's what they hate. They've smelled blood now, and they'll not stop till they've spilled plenty of it. We must fight them, wherever they strike. They struck in Spain. Norman Bethune went there to fight as a doctor. He found Madrid in ruins. Ambulances needed at once, desperately. He drove back to Paris to see what could be done. But ambulances cost money. Too much money. Maybe his friends at home could help. They didn't. This ambulance makes pretty good time for a jalopy. Yeah. We should be in Madrid before dark. Say, do you mind drawing up here a minute? I'd like to get a picture of that old man with the donkey. Okay. Make it quick, though, will you? I get nervous on this road. Oh, this won't take a moment. Hola, senor. Un momentito. Por favor. Tengo que pasar muy rápido. Ya me voy. That's funny. He wouldn't even stop. Well, get in. Let's get going. Wait a minute. Listen. Plane. German dive bombers. What are they up to? There's no military or any other kind of target around here. There's something in the valley over there. Come on, let's have a look. 
couldn't see it with my own eyes, Bethune, I'd never believe it. Children with blood-stained rags wrapped around their arms and legs. Children without shoes, their feet swollen to twice their size, crying hopelessly from pain, hunger, and fatigue. Two hundred kilometers of misery. We moved as many as we could. We might have spared ourselves the anguish, for most of them were bombed in Almeria again that night. We worked as long as we could by the orange glare of the burning buildings. In the darkness, the moans of the wounded children, the agonized mothers, and the cursing of the men rose higher and higher to a pitch of intolerable intensity. One's body felt as heavy as the dead themselves, but empty and hollow. And in one's brain burned a bright flame of hate for the enemy that had done this thing. You were listening to Walter Pidgeon as Dr. Norman Bethune in Lifetide on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by E.I. DuPont Dinamores and Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. Your Cavalcade commentator is Walter Houston. Lifetide, story of Dr. Norman Bethune, inventor of the Mobile Field Blood Bank, being used as you hear these words to save precious American lives wherever the men and women of our armed forces fight the battle against oppression. Lifetide, almost motionless sometimes before it's turning. War in Spain, 1937. Between offensives, Norman Bethune is preparing glass jars of precious blood plasma to be moved up to sectors where the attack is to take place. Bethune and an elderly Spanish doctor have worked far into the night. They work in silence until... Fool! Idiot! Look what you've done! Don't you know how valuable that stuff is? I... I'm sorry, Doctor. Doctor Bethune, he did not wish to do this. You are being unkind. I know what I want to say to him. I'm sorry, Dr. Bethune. Since I am no good here, I will go and join my brothers on the battlefield. I have no bitterness, Doctor. I am grateful for what you are doing for Spain. Goodbye. Manolita, go after him. Tell him I apologize for my stupid, ill-tempered remarks. I'm trying to blame my own failure on somebody else. Failure, Doctor? Oh, I know I'm not doing this job properly. We ought to be sending blood right up to the front in refrigerated containers. But we haven't enough plasma on hand. I've been afraid to risk what we have out there on the line of fire. Doctor, if that is all that is worrying you, worry no more. All Spain will give blood. You shall have all you need. My blood bank is a success. Being able to transfuse casualties in the front lines has saved a great many lives. I know that the final battle will never be lost. 
blood of the living will sustain the fallen, and it will be given freely and with love. This thought is with me as I leave for China. Norman Bethune went to China, carrying on the work he'd started in Spain. Friends and comrades of China, thousands of your soldiers have fallen fighting for you. They will live to fight again if you will do one thing for them. Give them a pint of your blood. Who will be the first to volunteer? I'm, I'm afraid it is hopeless, Doctor. What's the matter? Didn't they understand what I was saying? Yes, they understood. But they are afraid to give their blood. Bring one of the patients up here. The worst one. Go ahead, orderly. You heard what the doctor said. Yes, Commandant. I go to obey. Nurse, hand me that uh, alcohol and the sterile needle. Here, doctor. Careful there. Careful. Set the stretcher down gently. That's it. Good. Now then, uh, nurse, uh, uh, help me here, will you? You are going to transfuse the patient yourself, doctor? Yes. All of them, if necessary. As Norman Bethune lay down beside the dying Chinese soldier, and the life tide began to flow from his veins into the wounded man's body, the little circle of peasants watched in dismay. Then, they witnessed a miracle. The man they thought dead moved, sat up. What happened? I'm home again. These are people of my village. Yes, these are your people. But they would not give a little blood to save your life. What kind of people are you anyway? Look, he lives. Orderly, bring up another of the wounded men. The sickest one. Doctor, I am very old and maybe the blood is dried up in my veins. But I would like to give. Do not put woman's blood in a soldier. Let me. I am strong. Let me. I want to give. Three o'clock in the morning, December, North China, near Lin Chu, with the Eighth Root Army. Mud walls, mud floor, mud bed, white paper windows. Smell of blood and chloroform. Cold. Men with wounds. Is this one alive? Yes, he lives. Technically speaking, he is alive. Give him saline intravenously. Perhaps the innumerable tiny cells of his body will remember. They may remember the hot, salty sea, their ancestral home, their first food. With the memory of a million years, they may remember other tides, other oceans, and life being born of the sea and the sun. And this one. Will he run along the road beside his mule at another harvest with cries of happiness? No. That one will never run again. But don't pity him. Pity would diminish his sacrifice. He did this without sentimentality or China. Four Japanese prisoners cut away that blood-stained uniform, 
lay him beside the others. There they are. Twenty operations tonight, 16 heroes and four enemies. Blood separated them. Blood has brought them together. Administer the anesthetic, please. Gloves, nurse. Dr. Bateson, there is no anesthetic. Not even chloroform? Not even chloroform. Are you a game soldier? I, I will not fail it at all. I promise you, doctor, if you can make me well, so I can fight again. All right. Gloves? Here, doctor. Oh, throw them away. Look at the holes in them. What a joke. I'll operate without gloves. Doctor, you will excuse me, but do you think you ought to? There is a cut in your finger there, and this infection... I know what I'm doing, but before I begin, uh... Orderly! Yes, Dr. Bethune? Uh, go to your commanding officer. Tell him to contact China Aid Council in New York and arrange transportation for me back to the capital. I'm going home to America. You are leaving us, Dr. Bethune? I must. Americans have got to be made to realize that China is fighting the first battle of our war. It is too bad you must go, Doctor. You know what the commandant says to the men when he starts an offensive? What's that? You will not think it disrespectful if I tell you? Of course not. The commandant says, you have your marching orders. Attack. Bethune is here to take care of the wounded. He says that, does he? Hmm. Scalpel, nurse. Norman Bethune died that night of an infection caused by operating without a 15-cent pair of rubber gloves. Thank you, Walter Pigeon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Norman Bethune gave his great heart for our freedom. Can we, in the same cause, give less than a little of our blood to the American Red Cross blood bank? Nylon is only one of many of the DuPont Company's better things for better living through chemistry. And here is Cavalcade's commentator, Walter Houston. One bitter cold night, nearly 200 years ago, by the light of a flickering candle and with a drumhead or a desk, a man dipped quill into ink and wrote these words. These are the times that try men's souls. You've heard them before, I know. Men have repeated them in times of great struggle, finding comfort and guidance in the preservation of freedom. They were written by a great patriot, Thomas Paine. And the plain, homely men of 1776, realizing their full meaning brought on to win the liberty we enjoy today. We want you to rediscover these words with us next week, and they will be spoken again on Cavalcade. Our star is one of your favorite actors, Edward G. Robinson. The play in which he will portray Tom Paine is called The Voice on the Stairs. Speaking of good night, I gotta get out of here. See you next week. Bye for now.
If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>